Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Mark Nelson. I'd like to welcome you to today's SACPA. Um, this uh, session is being recorded and will be available on the website uh, at uh, www.sacpa.ca. Um, lunch is $10, and just have somebody at your table. Make sure you have the correct amount. Uh, SACPAW is a volunteer nonprofit organization, and it relies on contributions of members and ses session attendees to continue its work. Uh, we'd like to acknowledge the University of Lethbridge for the support and um, the distribution of notices, and we'd like to thank uh, Country Kitchen Catering for preparing lunch. Um, the outline is um, our speaker today, Dr. Harold Jansen, will give a 25 to 30 minutes uh, talk. Uh, we'll have lunch and then on a 30-minute question period starting at about 1 o'clock. Harold Jansen has degrees from Carleton University and the University of Alberta. He received his Ph.D. from the U of A in 1998 and has been a professor at the University of Lethbridge in the political science department since then. His area of specialization is Canadian politics, particularly political parties and elections. Dr. Johnson has published several articles in, and book chapters on topics such as electoral systems and electoral reform, Alberta politics, political party finances, finance in Canada, and the impact of the internet on political communication. Harold helped start the Maple Leaf Web, the leading Canadian political election website, education website, excuse me. He serves as a senior editor for, this, um, for the site. Today's talk will be on the methods we use to select or elect our mem members of parliament. It may be an issue that just uh, interests um, political scientists, but there's a real consequences to everybody on, on how our political system operates. Canada right now uses a single-member plurality system, often known as first-past-the-post, and it has profound consequences. Dr. Jansen will outline the effects and argue that our, elect our election system does not serve the needs of Canada's institutions, parties, or citizens. There are alternatives to the present system. Uh, he will discuss some of the options and advantages and disadvantages of a shift to various forms of proportional, repre proportional representation. Uh, Dr. Jensen. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you for the introduction, and thank you to uh, all of you for coming and to uh, SACPA for the invitation to come and talk to you on a subject that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I teach a course on this, and actually... I'm getting my students to write a paper on pretty much this exact topic, and they're probably slaving away in the library on this right now. Um, little did they know they could just come here and get the answer. So, um, 
So what I'm going to do, uh, Mark kind of outlined the direction I'm going with the talk, but I'm going to talk a little bit about our electoral system, how it works, how it's structured, and some of the effects that uh, it has, and uh, then talk about a couple of the alternatives and that have been uh, that are out there. Now, if you're the kind of person who likes to look at the end of the book to see how it turns out, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be arguing that we should shift to some form of proportional representation. And I have a system that I would prefer, but I think pretty much any system of PR would be better than what we've got right now. But uh, uh, So that's, that's where I'm going with this, but I'll sort of lead you through uh, the steps on the way. So the first thing is just to be clear on some terminology here. Canada has what we call a single-member plurality electoral system. A lot of people call it the first-past-the-post system, but I've got to tell you as a political science, scientist, that term drives me up the wall, so I refuse to use it because it implies that there's some set standard. There's a post you have to pass to get elected, that if you achieve a certain share of the vote, that means you're going to win the seat. But in fact, that's not the case, right? We know that you can win with less than a majority of the vote. So I just want to make sure you know that because actually public opinion polls tell us that a majority of Canadians actually think you need a majority of the vote to win the seat at the local level. So people are woefully misinformed about the system. Now, I know from having been before this group in the past that you are much better informed than most. So I'm sure most of you are, weren't laboring under that false assumption. But just so you know, uh, in our system, we have... One person represents one district, and that person just has to win more votes than everybody else. Now, when we think about it, at the local level, that makes a lot of sense, right? If you're trying to decide, well, whoever gets the most votes, it would seem logical to have that person to win. But there's problems when we aggregate that, when we add those results together and look at what that does nationally. And that's what I want to talk about. Now, this system we inherited from the British, and it's not something we discussed a lot at the time of Confederation. I think we just sort of assumed that, well, that's, that's what the British did, and that's what we're going to do as well. But it has some things that it's supposed to do. It's supposed to enhance local representation and accountability, right, that you can hold one person accountable at the local level for what's happening. It's supposed to lead to a two-party system where you get the two parties alternating back and forth in power, and you're supposed to get decisive majority governments that can act and deal with crises. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the extent to which we're actually achieving the promise that the system's supposed to do. Now, I have to warn you, I've got some lots of numbers and stuff here, and, and we, you can look at the ones you want to, or if you don't like numbers, just close your eyes. They'll go away in a minute. Um, these are the results for every province by seat for all the different parties and for independent candidates in the last federal election. And um, so you can see overall, we know the Conservatives won a minority government, 143 seats. And we can see that the Liberals the, did quite a bit less well, the Bloc, and the NDP uh, trailing after that, and then a couple of independents got elected. The other thing I want to point out to you is uh, if you notice that at the uh, provincial level, you notice Alberta sort of stands out there, right? 27 of our 28 seats were won by the Conservatives. And we see these uh, overwhelming seat shares, Saskatchewan as well, 13 of their, out of their 14 seats were won by the Conservatives. So you can see particular provinces seem to support parties. But when we look at the actual vote shares, we see things are, are quite a bit different. Yes, the Conservatives came very close to getting a majority government. They had 46% of the seats. But only 37% or 38%, if we're going to round up, actually voted for them. The Liberals had the support of 26%, and their actually vote share was a little less than that. The Bloc Québécois, to me, is the interesting one. They only got 10% of the vote. They got 16% of the seats. Conversely, the NDP got 18% of the vote and only 12% of the seats. 
So if you're doing the math, more people actually voted for the NDP in this past election, yet the Bloc Québécois got more seats, considerably more, right? 50 as opposed to 27 for the NDP. So there's something wrong about this. Now, this leads to one of the features of the single-member plurality system, which is that it's supposed to manufacture majorities. It's supposed to translate a minority, or it, one of the things that it does is it translates a minority share of the vote into a majority. So in the 2000 federal election, the last majority government we had, the Liberals got 40.8% of the vote and 57% of the seats. So they got this advantage, right? The only reason they had a majority was because of, um, because of the, the system. Now, if we look at it, here's a list of all the elections, the 16 elections we've had in the last 50 years. I just sort of picked 50 years as a nice cutoff point. In only one of them did our government actually have the support of a majority of the population. And that's in 1984. And actually, even if, if you included the number of people who spoiled their ballots in 1984, Brian Mulroney even didn't quite make it if you include spoiled ballots. So only once in 50 years have we had a government that had the support of a majority of the population. That's amazing to me. Um, so most of our majorities are actually manufactured. Most of our governments are governing without the consent of a majority of the population. Now, here's another really interesting thing to me about our system. These yellow ones are the number of times we've had minority governments. Eight of them. Half of the, half of the last 16 elections have returned minority governments, which is, to me, really interesting because that's not supposed to happen with the system we have, right? It's supposed to produce majority governments. But... It, it doesn't do that. Only half the time have we actually had majority governments, only half of the elections, but we're getting minority governments anyway, right? And that's not supposed to happen under our system. We're supposed to have something like the Americans have, right, where the Democrats or the Republicans will have a majority in Congress or in the House of Representatives. We, we're not getting that. And that, that, to me, is a little puzzling, right? What, what's lying behind that? And to me, the answer is, well, Canada has a multi-party system. The reality is we have multiple political parties, and we don't have the nice two-party alteration that's supposed to fit well with the system that we have. So as a result, we end up with minority government. So the Bloc Québécois, that 10% of the vote, which has given them typically around 50 seats, it seems, uh, they've drifted uh, a little bit uh, before the sponsorship scandal revived them. But that takes a bunch of seats off the table that aren't there to be won, and that makes it very difficult for the Liberals or the Conservatives to win. Now, a lot of people will suggest, well, we need to merge parties, right? So in the 1990s, the big question was, well, how do we unite the right? And now the big question is, well, the left, right? We have the Liberals, the NDP, the Green Party. But I guess my argument is, well, why are we trying to switch parties, fix parties to fit an electoral system that doesn't fit the reality? Shouldn't we get an electoral system that fits the reality that we have. There's a reason Green Party members don't want to be New Democrats. There's a reason New Democrats don't want to be Liberals. Why are we forcing them to work together just or to be one party just because of the demands of what I would argue is an antiquated electoral system? Now, the other thing that is important about our electoral system is that it worsens regionalism. Well, anyway, in between the blue slides, <laughs> uh, the point I'm trying to make nobody's going to go into uh, shock here or something with the flashing lights, is that our system makes regionalism worse. Well, there we go. It's settled down. Um, we, our perceptions of parties are based on the seats that they get. So the perception is that, if those of you who traveled outside of Alberta, um, is that Alberta, we're all conservatives, right? And a great many Albertans are conservatives. There's no question about that. 
But a third of people, more than a third of people in the last federal election with a, with a prime minister from Alberta still voted for other parties, right? But 27 of the 28 seats went to the Conservatives. Ontario, we have this perception that they're all liberal. And during the late 1990s, the Liberals were winning almost every seat in Ontario. But if you look at the vote total, the Liberals were getting about half of the vote, which means half of the people were actually voting for other parties. Believe it or not, in 1997, 20% of Ontario voters actually did vote for the Reform Party. 25% voted for the Canadian Alliance in 2000. But you would think that Ontarians didn't have any interest in that. And also small party success. If you're a small party that appeals to regional interests, like the Bloc Québécois that promotes separatism, you're going to do very well. If you're a small party that appeals to a small number of people across the country, you're going to get punished because that's not enough to elect anybody. So look at the Green Party. Right, the Green Party came close to 8% of the vote in the last election, only 2% behind the Bloc Québécois. They didn't even come close to winning a seat. The Bloc Québécois sits there with 50 seats for only 2% of the vote more. And I, I guarantee you, if the Green Party managed to get 10% of the vote, odds are they still would have had no seats because there's a small number of people in every constituency. So parties that appeal to regional interests do better, and I'd argue that hurts. Um, Actually, I'm going to skip over this horrible graph here. Another thing that I think the, um, that our election does, and that's a couch potato, by the way, in case you're wondering what that lump on the couch is, um, is that I think it contributes partly to lower voter turnout. So this graph here shows how voter turnout has declined since 1988. And I didn't show before 1988, just to make the graph keep it simple. But if I'd shown you the line before uh, 88, voter turnout in Canada has hovered between... 70 and 75 percent until around 1993, and then it started to decline. Now, the point I want to make about voter turnout is it's declining all over the place. It's not just Canada, so we don't want to overstate the extent to which our electoral system contributes to this, but it does play a role. We started from a lower point, and I think our electoral system does that. When we do comparative analysis, countries that use different electoral systems tend to have much higher voter turnout, or higher voter turnout, I don't want to overstate it, than what we have. Um, and you can see why, right? If you're a voter in Lethbridge, if you're a liberal voter in Lethbridge, what really is the incentive to vote, right? You know what's going to happen. I, most people do, right? I tell my students, your ballot, you could cast it, or you could make a nice origami swan, and it would probably contribute about as much to the outcome. But the same is true as if you're a conservative voter, right? Rick Casson had, what, about 65% of the vote here last election? I don't think a lot of people were really worried. I better get to the polls because if I don't, Rick Casson might not win if you're a conservative. You don't really worry about that, right? So a lot of votes are wasted. And the argument is that that undermines people's incentive to get out and vote. So I'd argue that our system also is at least partly responsible for lower turnout. And that's borne out by some of the comparative analysis that we do. The other thing we know from comparative analysis is that our, the single-member plurality system also tends to impair the representation of women. Countries that use other systems, like proportional representation systems, tend to have more women overall than countries like, that, like ours that use single-member plurality systems. Now, it has to be recognized that actually, for countries that use single-member plurality systems, Canada actually doesn't do badly comparatively, which isn't great, right? We're at about a little over 20%, which isn't anything to be proud of. But we lag behind other countries. And the reason is, is that proportional representation systems encourage um, parties to put forward lists of candidates 
listing a number, and so we can see how many women are being nominated. A big reason is that in the single-member plurality system, the nomination is controlled locally, and every district makes the decision on who they're going to nominate, so you don't have that coordinated effort that you do in some other kinds of systems. Now, another issue is accountability. So this is Raheem Jaffer, who was the lone uh, Alberta casualty for the Conservative Party, right? He was knocked off by the New Democrats in Edmonton, Strathcona. And so I was really, that was the most interesting story to come out of Alberta in the last election, right? A conservative actually lost uh, shock of, of shocks. And so I was curious, right? The idea is, is that we can encourage local accountability. And I thought, well, maybe the voters in Edmonton, Strathcona were really unhappy with Raheem Jaffer and didn't vote for him in large numbers. Do you want to see what his vote total was in 2008? 41.6. It was exactly the same. What happened is, is that the vote coalesced behind the NDP candidate, who apparently ran a good campaign. And there's some evidence of some strategic voting by liberal voters who just wanted to knock off a conservative and Jaffer looked like the most vulnerable. So, um, but my point is, is that the accountability is really haphazard. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. If Jaffer runs again whenever we have the next election, the vote could fragment again, the Liberals could nominate a better candidate, and Jaffer could win, and he might even get less vote than he got in 2008 and end up winning this time. It's completely haphazard because we have multiple parties. So the reality is Canada is a multi-party system with regional differences, and I think we need to look at a system that fits our reality better. So I'm quickly talk about two alternatives. Now, the first is called a mixed-member proportional system, and this system was pioneered in Germany after World War II. It's kind of imposed on, um, imposed on uh, Germany by the occupying powers, and uh, it's, uh, New Zealand switched to this. They had a system like ours, and in 1993, they chose to, in a referendum, to adopt a mixed-member proportional system. So in an MMP system, you have two votes. And this is, was used, uh, this is a sample that was created by the Ontario, for the Ontario Citizens Assembly. On the left, what you would do in your constituency is you put an X by the party you'd like, and then on the right, you put an X by the candidate you would like to represent your, your district. Okay, so we're going to have two kinds of MPs. Some are going to be elected on party lists, and some are going to be elected on single-member districts. So just to give you an idea how it would work, I took Alberta. If Alberta in 2008, let's say we had a uh, mixed-member proportional system, I'm going to assume we, would, we wouldn't want Parliament to get bigger. So we're going to divide uh, Parliament in half, and we're going to make the districts bigger. So now instead of 28 MPs, we're going to have 14 that represent single-member districts. Assuming that it worked pretty much like we did, we'll say the Conservatives win 13, and we'll be generous and say that the NDP uh, would get some support from surrounding areas and, and still win that other seat. So that would give us 14 seats. Now, what we would do is, based on the party vote, we'd look at, well, what share, what number of seats every party deserves. So we translate that percentage of the vote into percentage of the seats. And so we'd see the Conservatives actually deserve 19 seats. The Liberals deserve three. The NDP deserves four. And the Green Party actually deserves two. So then what we do is we go and every party has a list of candidates that's made public before the election. And we give the Conservatives six. So we give them six off their list to get them to the total they deserve. The Liberals won nothing in single-member districts. We give them three to get them up to the number they deserve. The NDP got one, they deserve four, so we get them, give them three more to get them to the number they deserve. And the Green Party, we give two to get them, they didn't win any, to get them to the number they deserve. So we have 14 MPs from lists, 14 from 
that represents single-member districts. We keep the same representation for Alberta, and we um, end up with something that much more closely resembles how people in Alberta actually voted. So to give you a sense of how it looks, how the overall results would have looked under the MMP system, this is what we've got. And you see it looks quite a bit different. Right? If we go to the totals on the bottom, you notice, uh, just to refresh your memory, the Conservatives won 143 seats. Instead, they would have had 119. The Liberals would have gone up a little bit to 81, but look at the big hit the Bloc takes. They would have had 50. They'd be down to 29. Conversely, the NDP goes from 27 to 57. The Green Party, which got nothing, gets 20 seats, and the two independents would likely have still won. Okay, so what you're seeing is that what looks like this is actually how Canadians really did vote. Now, what would this mean for how Canada is governed? Well, say goodbye to majority governments. It's not going to happen probably anymore if we were to switch to this. Now, people will argue or disagree about whether that's a good or a bad thing. The reality is I'd, I'd argue it's not that bad a thing. The comparative literature tells us that majority governments um, don't govern any better, any more effectively than governments elected under proportional representation. There's zero difference when we compare um, so, um, so I'd argue that's not a huge detriment necessarily. Now, if we look also at the uh, regional balance, you notice that the Liberals actually win seats in every single province in Canada, as do the NDP, except with the exception of Prince Edward Island. You notice the Green Party as well also wins seats everywhere except Newfoundland and Prince Edward Island. You notice you actually get national parties that actually have representation from across the country. So I would argue that's a big advantage. It helps to alleviate some of that regional conflict that we see. It represents smaller parties more fairly. And the reality is a lot of the problems that we have with majority governments or with that we that are criticisms of proportional representation systems like this, I'd argue we're already dealing with. We already have those problems. We're already not getting majority governments. So why not get all the advantages of an MMP system? Um, I'll skip over this. Now, another, the second option I just briefly mentioned is the single transferable vote. And some of you um, may know or maybe even may remember that Alberta actually did use this in provincial elections in Edmonton and Calgary to elect uh, MLAs for a while. So this is the kind of proportional representation that's actually been used in Canada. And our neighbors in British Columbia will be voting on switching to this system in a referendum next month. They voted on it four years ago, and actually 58% of British Columbians wanted to switch to it. And 77, a majority in 77 of their 79 districts wanted to switch to it. But the government had said they needed a 60% threshold to, uh, for it to change, and so um, they decided to hold another referendum, which will be happening next month. Now, the STV system works a little bit different. In it, people rank the... Your vote is not for parties, it's just for candidates, and you rank the candidates... Now, the details of how all the results are worked out, it's a lot, a lot more complicated than an MMP system, and my time is almost up, so I can't get into the details. If you really want to know, uh, you can ask me in the question period, and I can get into the gory details. But basically what happens is, is you set a, percent, a, a number of votes that everybody has to get. Any candidate that gets more than that, we take their extra votes so, and then look at, well, what did those people indicate as their second choice? And then we transfer them over. And then we can eliminate lower candidates until we elect a number of people. Now, the reason a lot of people like the STV form of PR is that the votes are for candidates. And the argument is that it tends to undermine party discipline and cohesiveness. 
Some of those arguments are a little bit overstated. There's a little bit of evidence that it may do that. That seems to be a big reason why in British Columbia they chose to go with this model rather than an MMP model, which most political scientists want. Um, so I would argue it is an improvement. Now, I can't simulate the results under a single transferable vote because it depends. We'd have to know how everybody would have ranked all the candidates, and we just don't have that information. So just very briefly, I just want to outline what are some of the objections, just so you know. Uh, this is a brochure. This is a poster from New Zealand from their electoral reform uh, referendum campaign in 1993. So one of the arguments is if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Why we, Our electoral system has lasted for a long time. We shouldn't mess with things quickly or hastily. I'd argue it is broken. I'd argue we're not getting the results we're supposed to, and it's having some pernicious effects in terms of the regional distortion that we see with political parties. The argument is that PR MMP is needlessly complicated, and it is more complicated, no question. STV is more complicated uh, even than MMP. But the argument that the simplest is always the best is a bit ridiculous. So I asked my electoral systems class yesterday, my lawnmower motor is a lot simpler than my car engine, but I'm not about to put my lawnmower engine into my car just because it's simpler. It doesn't mean it's better. And the, argue, and the other argument I'd make is people around the world in countries, various levels of uh, education, development, um, use MMP systems. Canada's one of relatively few that stuck to ours. The implication is somehow that Canadians are less smart and less able to figure this out. The argument that it creates ineffective governments, and that's the argument that we're going to get coalitions and they can't act. As I said, the research shows there's no justification for that claim. In fact, the one study that was done of this found the one area where there was a difference was in managing inflation, and countries elected by PR do better. Um, the argument is that it gives too much power to minor parties. Again, the evidence doesn't support that. The argument, the evidence shows that, part of, that PR governments govern close to the center, better, in fact, than single-member plurality governments. But I also argue in Canada, we already have that problem. The Bloc Québécois has inordinate power. Right, if we're worried about extremist parties, I'd argue a party that's going to break up your country is probably as extreme as it gets. Finally, there's an argument that it can create unresponsive governments, that essentially through coalition negotiations, it's very difficult to throw people out. But I argue our accountability mechanisms already are fairly haphazard, as we saw with Raheem Jaffer. So I'd argue a lot of these objections are overstated or don't really apply that well in Canada. Anyway, my time is up before Mark comes and kicks me off. So I look forward to uh, your questions after lunch. I'd like to thank Dr. Jansen, and uh, we'll be back at 1 o'clock. So he gave lots to think about. So have your, have your questions ready. Thanks.